Welcome to Newsweek's Foreign Service. I'm Josh Lowe. And I'm Marion Geda. And each week we look at the big stories from the US and what they mean for the rest of the world. So this week we're discussing the US vice presidential race. And what we thought we'd do before we get into the proper discussion of all of this is give you guys a bit of a sense of who these people are. So to start with, I've got Mirren here with me as normal. What we're going to do is play rock, paper, scissors and decide who's going to explain who to you. So are you ready, Mirren? Ready as I'll ever be, Josh. Okay, so one, one two, two, three, three paper. Ah! Okay, <laughs> I win. Uh, I am going to pick the Democratic vice presidential nominee, uh, Tim Kaine. I wanted Tim Kaine. 58-year-old senator from Virginia. So that leaves me with the 57-year-old Mike Pence. He is the governor of Indiana, and he describes himself as a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. Let's get ready to rumble! Y'all ready for this? Okay, so let's kick things off with immigration. That's obviously a big, big election issue. Mike Pence, unsurprisingly, is against illegal immigration. He supports um, greater border controls, greater border security. He also, within his own state, tried to block the resettlement of Syrian refugees, which earlier this month a court said was unconstitutional. However, he's not that hawkish on immigration because back in December 2015, he tweeted that Trump's proposed ban on Muslims was unconstitutional. Tim Kaine, meanwhile, is pretty liberal. He was the first person to speak in favour of a bill on the Senate floor entirely in Spanish uh, when he backed the 2013 immigration reform, which was intended to pave the way for undocumented immigrants to become citizens. El Senado ha comenzado un debate histórico sobre una reforma migratoria comprensiva. He learned his Spanish in Honduras, where he went before and after university, and he said that the poverty and injustice he saw there inspired him to become a civil rights lawyer on his return to America, a job he did for 17 years. Okay, so moving on now to defence, another hugely important issue given how much power the president has over foreign policy and the fact that he or she will have access to the nuclear codes. So Mike Pence, he's got a son in the military. Um, He supports increased defence spending and he thinks that the US should be much more hardline in addressing Russia's involvement in Syria. More controversially, perhaps, Pence did actually vote for the Iraq war, something that Donald Trump now says that he opposes, which led to this rather awkward exchange during an interview. Your running mate voted for it. I don't care. Hmm. What do you mean you don't care that he voted? It's a long time ago. Tim Kaine also has a son in the military. His son, Nat, is a serving Marine, and he's mentioned him during the campaign. I have a boy who's a Marine infantry officer. Uh, He's one of the two million young men and women who serve in the United States military, and he's deployed now for the second time. I would trust Hillary Clinton with my son's life. But he and his would-be boss, Hillary Clinton, differ on a crucial area of defence policy. Kane is a stickler for the Constitution. For personal reasons, he's obviously aware of the enormity of going to war. And he's repeatedly argued that the president does not have the right to unilaterally launch military action against ISIS. Clinton does not agree. And what about within their own party? You know, where where do their interests lie? Mike Pence is very socially conservative. This is a guy who introduced one of America's strictest abortion laws within Indiana. He also, in 2015, tried to implement a law that it seems would have allowed religious people to discriminate against gay people. Though he appeals to many Republicans, Mike Pence has said that he does feel out of touch with the modern Republican Party, given that he opposes the big government that they have started to support. 
Kane voted to fast-track the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That's a trade agreement opposed by some Labour groups, which means that grassroots left-wing Democrats often consider him not progressive enough. He's also married to Anne Holton, a judge and the daughter of a Virginia Republican politician, bolstering his sort of centrist image. But his defenders on the left cite his progressive credentials on reproductive rights. He's personally pro-life for religious reasons, but he's consistently voted as a senator to strengthen or keep legal protections for women over abortion. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So we've got some uh, fantastic guests here today um, to talk to us about this, and I guess I'll just let them introduce themselves now. My name is Chad Wilcox. I'm the Chief Operating Officer with the Institute of Economic Affairs here in London, which is the UK's premier free market think tank. Uh, And as you can probably tell, I'm an American. Hi, I'm Margot Miller. I'm the founder and co-chair of London for Hillary. I developed VoteFromAbroad.org, which is a website that transformed the way Americans vote from overseas, and I'm a former chair of Democrats Abroad UK. Let's start with Clinton and Kane. You know, what, why do we think Hillary picked Tim Kane? I think Hillary selected Tim Kane because he does the two things that you look for in a vice presidential pick. You look for someone who reinforces your strengths and somebody who mitigates your liabilities. And you also look for someone, first and foremost, who can be president of the United States. Um, my sense is that from the very beginning of the vetting process, she was very comfortable with Tim Kaine. He has an incredible record. Um, he served in as mayor and governor and, and senate. She's somebody that he knew when he was at the DNC. He also, I think, brings the Obama coalition. He was the first senator outside of Obama's home state to endorse him in 08. Yeah, I would agree with all that. Generally speaking, what makes a good choice for a vice presidential candidate is someone who can either sort of secure you a swing state um, which didn't seem to be a reason to pick Tim Kaine, Virginia. It perhaps was thought to be a swing state early on, but is looking not so much like one now. Um, or to shore up a weakness, um, which doesn't seem to be the case also, and most importantly, to do no harm. And uh, I think that Tim Kaine is someone who is probably not going to do Hillary Clinton any harm. I would add one more thing, though, which is you definitely don't want your vice presidential candidate to overshadow the top of the ticket. And Tim Kaine is in no danger of doing that. And both Clinton and Trump... Um are deeply unpopular. You know, it's been talked about that they're sort of the two most unpopular presidential nominees. So obviously when they picked their vice president, they probably had to go for someone who is going to be popular and who isn't going to come with any scandals and so on. And with that in mind, I wanted to discuss why 
Trump chose Mike Pence because as sedate and um, normal as he is, he does also have some quite dodgy voting records. Like he does seem to have a few skeletons in his closet. Well, I think Trump out of the gate had, well, he's, he's got a couple of problems, but uh, one of them in terms of picking a vice presidential candidate is finding somebody who can shore up some of his perceived weaknesses, in particular, his lack of governing experience. Um, but he couldn't pick an insider because that would go against his all of his rhetoric. So picking a governor is generally the way to look like you're picking an outsider. Um, the other problem, frankly, uh, I suspect he had trouble finding somebody who would be willing to run on his ticket. And so you're left with people who would put their names out there like uh, Newt Gingrich, who comes with plenty of baggage, and New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who came with plenty of baggage. And so in the context of needing to shore up some of his weaknesses and not picking someone that would cause any more trouble for him, Mike Pence actually seems like a reasonable choice. I think the other thing that Mike Pence does is he talks to the movement conservatives, which very much is part of Trump's base, even though it's not really... Well, we actually don't know who Trump is <laughs> in terms of what his what his policies are. In terms of temperament, initially, I think when the pick was made, it seemed like Mike Pence had a very different temperament from Trump. Although after watching him in that vice presidential debate, I actually see as much of the bullying characteristics and tendencies in Mike Pence as I do in Donald Trump. Yeah, well, Mike Pence has a history of being a conservative talk show host, which gives him that sort of uh, punchy charisma. Uh, right, self-described as uh, Rush Limbaugh on decaf. <laughs> that's, that's his little strap line. Mike Pence obviously then has had some influence during the campaign. You're right, I think, probably, uh, Chad, as someone who is a relatively safe pair of hands given the other options Trump had. He's maybe sort of shored things up from a bit. We just talked about Tim Kaine and Chad's introduction there was sort of made him sound almost boring. Is Tim Kaine a bit boring or has he had uh, some kind of interesting impacts on the campaign so far, do we think? I think the fact that he speaks Spanish and is doing campaign events in Spanish, I mean, that shows where the country's going. It shows the changing demographics. It shows the importance of the Latino vote. And when you talked earlier about the Obama coalition, I guess in a, in, in a slightly less literal way, that's also part of him bringing some of the Obama vote in, right? He's, he's known as someone who is sort of strong on race issues and immigration issues. Absolutely. You look at his history in Richmond. I mean, he's been a member of the same church for 30 years, which is a predominantly black church. He was a mayor of Richmond, which is 60% black. It was actually quite a statement that was made when he was selected. It's not a vote. It's a selection for mayor of Richmond. And for them to choose a white man for Richmond was a big deal. But in large part, it's because he, I think he has done so much for race relations in Virginia. I think he also is somebody who's credited with taking Virginia out of the swing state category and making it comfortably blue or, you know, very, very, very light purple at this point. And that's very much because of the way in which he's been able to work in the state and the way in which he's able to change the voting coalition in the state. It's certainly the case. And, and he was actually governor of Virginia at the time that I was living in Virginia. And you definitely saw the influence of a conservative Democrat. And I will take your word for it. Perhaps he was responsible for some of that uh, shift. I think to the question of, of how boring or, or, or not, I do think that one of the things that you want out of your vice presidential candidate is the ability to go out and be a, a surrogate, somebody who can go out and get on the stump. And certainly, you know, you do, I would think, pass a minimum bar when you have been elected several times and uh, when you are forced to go out on the stump in various states for your candidate. Boring in this election, it, you know, means something, I think, totally different than uh, <laughs> perhaps in some previous uh, Sweet elections. Sweet relief. There, uh, <laughs> 
you might argue, and perhaps we'll come to this later, you might argue that never have so few people uh, been voting for or rather against a candidate in a presidential election because of the vice presidential choice. So if Tim Kaine's going out there and reiterating Hillary's message and possibly getting some of the Bernie Sanders supporters, because he, he does seem to be perhaps more liberal than Hillary, I don't know if that's a fair, a fair thing to say or, or not. I actually think they're pretty comparable in terms of finding someone who reinforces your strengths. In terms of where they are on the political spectrum, I think they're pretty similar. Um, I think the way in which he helps with the Bernie voters is not policy, but really his early support for President Obama and what he's managed to do with race relations. And also, what he was governor during the Virginia Tech massacre. And he really came around on gun legislation um, and managed to get some gun legislation through the state of Virginia. So I think where he is on guns as well has evolved. And I think that's something that talks very much to the Bernie base. And, and then with, with Mike Pence, it seems like his role is less getting the message out there and more apologizing and trying to clean up after Trump. I mean, it seems like for most of this campaign, he's been having to say, oh, no, he didn't say that. And, you know, we heard a lot of that during the, uh, the vice presidential debate. Donald Trump and I would never support legislation that punished women. Should the woman be punished? For having an abortion? There has to be some form of punishment. Yes, I think one of the roles of a surrogate in an election is to clean up the mess of the top of the ticket when a mess is made. Trump has made no shortage of messes. Uh, I do think the Pence has had to spend some time doing that. And I think it's tough for really anybody who has put their support behind Trump to say, here is why I'm doing it, and I'm doing it in spite of these things. And so I do think that Mike Pence gets caught in some of those situations. And what about the role then more broadly, Vice President? Because it's a, it's a bit of a strange one. Who do we think has been a great vice president? Let's start with that. Probably the person who's credited with changing the role of the vice presidency the most is Walter Mondale, in terms of being much more of a partner and being much more involved with policy decisions. Who was Carter's vice president? Who was Carter's vice president in 1976. But if you look at actually what's required of the vice president, it's really that they are a heartbeat away from the presidency and that they're capable of becoming president. Um, And then there's a few statutory powers as well, which is to sit on the National Security Council and to sit on the board of the Smithsonian. Um, But other than that, there's no formal power. So I think Mondale is the one who first started to become much more of a partner to the president. And how did Mondale do that? Because it's a name you hear sort of thrown around in this area a lot. I mean, what did did he do to kind of bring the role a bit more significance? Well, I I believe, if memory serves, he actually formally went to Carter and said, I... I, you know, envision sort of a new role for how I can be useful to the administration. So he actually articulated it and then was able to do some of those things. I mean, prior to that, I I mean, I think that it was generally understood that the vice presidential pick, maybe it was political or what have you, but that the person might not ever be asked to do really much of anything except wait around for the, you know, in the unlikely event, but not that unlikely because it's happened eight or 10 times that the uh, wait around for the president to uh, die or be assassinated. So can the vice president say before the election or before the inauguration, for example, I want to focus on health and choose a policy area and then just work on that for four years? Can they sort of lay out their role like that? But more of what I think you're likely to see is what happened with President Obama and Vice President Biden. And I presume that he went to the president and said, I'd really like to be working on cancer research. And I'd really like to head up some sort of task force and focus on that after what we just went through with my son. So it can come from either direction. It can come from the vice president or from the president. But ultimately, it's going to be the president who's going to decide how they want the vice president to act and what policies they should be involved in. I think the most 
active vice presidency was probably Dick Cheney with George W. Bush, where it was referred to by many people as, as a co-presidency, the, the level of, of delegation and the level of involvement in these sort of high-level decisions that, that Cheney appeared to have. What was that something you would pinpoint as something Cheney achieved in that role? Achieved, I guess, depends on your point of view about, yes, uh, of, 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 about the uh, various decisions. But certainly he was in the room through like all of those high-level decisions with Condi Rice and Howell and, and people over the decisions involving Iraq. So those were the good vice presidents. Um, who hasn't been so good as, as VP? Um, who's who's the worst? Well, Spiro Agnew is the one who obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. There's so, so, yeah, something about it? being arrested and charged with crimes that. Uh, yes. no, and so this, like, this is Nixon's, this was Nixon's yes. first yeah. vice president. And then Nixon was the first president to benefit from the ability to appoint a vice president. So he appointed Gerald Ford, who then went down in history, of course, as the first president of the United States who was never elected. What do we think about vice presidents who go on to become presidents as well, which is obviously a phenomenon that has happened sometimes. We've got um, a clip here of Lyndon Johnson, maybe the most famous example of that. I don't know. You might dispute that. Accepting the nomination as president, obviously, after the assassination of JFK. But the gladness of this high occasion cannot mask the sorrow which shares our heart. Lyndon Johnson, someone who was able to sort of come into the presidency through very tragic circumstances, but then do sort of very different things to what his original president was able to do by virtue of his background. And Lyndon Johnson is an example of someone who's on the ticket because of his experience and expertise. He was also on the ticket to bring in Texas and various other things back in 1960. But he was a lion in the Senate, and he knew how to get legislation through. And because of the tragic circumstances in which he came into office, I think it sort of gave him the base and the support to get things done in a way in which Kennedy may not have been able to do. I mean, he's not the only example of vice presidents who have come into office even under the unexpected circumstance of someone dying and actually and making a really tremendous difference. You know, Teddy Roosevelt is an example of that, depending on what you think of his policies, but positive or negative, but certainly influential. Harry Truman would be an example coming after FDR's death. And then on the other, Spiro Agnew, I agree, is the, uh, the worst vice president, but uh, another pretty bad one that came and as a result of a death in office was uh, Andrew Johnson succeeding Abraham Lincoln and probably set back uh, reconstruction and the healing of the South by decades. And jumping now to the present day, what can we expect Tim Kaine to do as vice president and Mike Pence to do as vice president? Because um, I was saying to Margot earlier, you know, a few days ago, we, we wouldn't really thought Mike Pence was ever going to be VP. But after this whole mess with the emails, I think we have to talk about both of them as potentially viable vice presidents. So what can we expect from them? What, what are they likely to want to focus on? Well, I think, first of all, that, yes, the dynamic of the race has changed a bit with Comey's letter on Friday and, you know, why the director of the FBI decided to insert himself in this against long-standing Department of Justice policy is, you know, anybody's guess at this point. But I do think what it has done is galvanize the Hillary support. And I think everybody is motivated now in a way in which they weren't before this happened on Friday. So assuming they are sufficiently motivated to get Tim Kaine over the line, what do we think he's going to do once he gets there? I think he's going to very much be a partner. I think he will take whatever portfolio it is that Hillary would like him to pursue. Um, I suspect that he will be doing a fair amount with Congress um, because he was, you know, he's coming from the Senate. He has much warmer ties to the Senate than Hillary does. And very much in the model, I think, of you know, when President 
Clinton came in with Al Gore, and they very much saw themselves as a team. I think we've that's very much how she is, and working very closely with people around her, and he will be one of her closest confidants and will be doing a, a huge amount of the work that has to be done to get the platform through. And these things get discussed up front to ensure that Mrs. Clinton, in talking with Tim Kaine about the decision to, to run, is like, well, okay, well, what would I do in this administration? What role would I have? A lot of this, I'm sure, has been mapped out. And what about with Mike Pence? Because we've heard that if Trump does become president, he might be doing sort of the day-to-day running of things. And there's a really funny clip of an 11-year-old boy saying what he thought Mike Pence would be doing if he became <laughs> vice president. My name is Matthew, and I'm 11 years old, and I've been watching the news lately, and And I've been noticing that you've been kind of softening up on Mr. Trump's um, policies and words. Is this your role in the, is this going to be your role in the administration? So what is his role going to be? There are several theories, as I understand it, when Trump was kind of searching around for vice presidential candidates. The rumor is that he went to Kasich and said, look, I just want to fly around giving speeches. If you become my VP and we get elected, you can be basically you know, make the decisions. I have no idea. I have no knowledge of this, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you, know, if, if you saw a fairly expanded role for Mike Pence because Donald Trump does not seem to be that interested in policy details. One other thing, though, is there are a number of Republicans who are supporting Trump who say things like, well, you know, if Trump gets elected and then he does something naughty, well, we'll just impeach him and we'll have, you know, we'll have Mike Pence as president, too. So you, you have a lot of these sort of weird theories that are, that are bouncing around about what Pence is going to do. I'm not actually sure which one is true personally. But would he be any <laughs> sort of good at that? Because, I mean, he may be better known um, uh, for our American listeners, for our overseas listeners. He was pretty unknown before this race, um, and I think even in America, he was no star. Is that a a positive prospect for the Republicans, do you think, that say this? Do they they think he'd be a decent president? Would he be good at running things? I would just say that something that I think that the UK does well is a a separation of the chief executive and the head of state. And, you know, if we had a model more like that, or the president and vice president wanted to divide responsibilities in that such a way, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it. Maybe it would depend on the specific people who are in the roles. King Trump, you're basically suggesting. (laughs) Although traditionally, it's been the other way around, that the ceremonial duties have been the duties that the vice president has filled, true, has filled in terms of going to funerals and, and various other heads of state type um, activities, and the actual executive has been the president. Josh raises an interesting point because um, Pence is kind of a nobody. But then we had a guest on an, on an earlier podcast saying, well, Barack Obama was sort of a nobody, and then he just suddenly emerged and he became president. What does the future hold for Mike Pence and for Tim Kaine? I mean, it, could it be that Mike Pence for the next election does want to run as the Republican presidential nominee? Could this sort of catapult them both into higher levels of fame? It certainly is one of the reasons why people take the position of vice president. Um, and you have many vice presidents who go on to run. They also often end up back where they were. You have vice presidents who come from the Senate and go back to the Senate, vice presidents who've been active on the state level and go back to the state level. It does seem pretty clear from watching Mike Pence in this campaign that he does have ambitions of moving forward and moving up, although he does seem to be awfully far to the right of where the country is and even where the Republican Party is when you look at his stance on gay marriage and his stance on even smoking. (laughs) He's very far from the mainstream. But it does seem to be one of the things that's motivating him when you look at his debate performance and other things where he tries to distance himself from the more extreme things that Donald Trump says and then has to be pulled back. One of the most important things uh, it's necessary in order to, to successfully run for president is you've got to have name recognition 
early on that's sufficient to be able to kind of get you up and into the debates and through the primaries and all of that. And so the vice presidency or being a vice presidential candidate, whether your team succeeds or fails, is um, an important way to get that name recognition. Just on your point about Pence, I actually, I think his convictions might be about 10 years behind his own electorate and his own base, unfortunately for him. And there's a lot of people who argue electorally that someone else who's sort of largely focused on a white male base would not be particularly good for the Republicans in 2020, which you could argue Pence might be. Yes, especially if Trump loses and possibly if he wins. Um, I think you're back to uh, thinking about people like Marco Rubio or thinking about perhaps a more uh, diverse candidate. I I think that's where the country's moving. And so we're moving towards uh, the end of the time, I'm afraid. But just as a kind of wrap-up question then, if uh, 2020, Kane Pence as twin presidential nominees battling it out after four years of whoever's won, who wins then? Who takes over America? I think Kane is probably closer to the electorate on the merits. I think that uh, I think that Pence is closer in the kind of personality that people seem to be drawn towards at the expense of policy and facts. You see, I would I would disagree <laughs> with you on that. I actually you're, you're think the opposite. that no, I actually think that Kane Kane has both. I mean, Kane is is a moderate Democrat. He is a white male from the Midwest. He sort of has that folksy way of talking, but he speaks Spanish and he's been the mayor of of Richmond. I think he is much more, even though he's a white male, looks much more like the future of America. And I think it's one of the reasons why he actually was a really good pick as vice president. Okay, well, I think uh, sadly that's all we've got time for. Thanks to you both for coming. Um, Thanks to everyone at home for listening. Um, You can catch us every week. We're on Acast. We're on iTunes. Rate us. Subscribe to us. Do absolutely everything you are able to do on both of those sites. We'll thank you very much for it. You can also find us on SoundCloud. If you can't wait that long, you can go to newsweek.com or pick up a copy of Newsweek in shops. Thanks very much. (laughs) 